I'm going to do two things today. I'm going back to Revelation since I never did really complete that last week and then pick up our notes for today. The question is, if God wanted to talk to you, how would he do it? Or ask another way, if you wanted to know God, how would you get to know him? And uh, we've got things all over the board. Uh, Jesus talked to me last night in my dream. Uh, if you read certain books that uh, have been written about extreme groups, uh, we have uh, stories where Jesus talks to me every day while I shave. You know, things, that, that's truly, that's, an in, that's a true story that's in print. And uh, what did the guy do? He just kept shaving. He never bowed down, never fell dead. You know, he, he just, it's just an everyday occasion, Jesus to show up in the room. And so uh, when can you measure anything? There's a big fancy word be good for you to know just to add a new word to your vocabulary. It's called in philosophy epistemology, and it's the word e with pistuo, which is the Greek word for faith. What, what determines what you believe about anything? Okay, what you believe about science, about your job, a lot of that, you don't need a Bible. You don't need the Bible to know how to build a house. You don't need the Bible to figure out the plumbing. But if you want to know God, if you want to know God, you need to find out how God has chosen to speak to the race. And as you look in the Old Testament, God spoke in dreams. Uh, God verbally spoke to Moses at the bush, had to hide him one time in the rock so he would not be consumed. He talked to Abraham about four times in his life, audibly. Uh, somehow, Abraham, leave Ur. Go to a land I'm going to show you. So we've got these different ways. But when we think of God, how have you talked to us? We break it down to natural revelation and special revelation. Natural revelation we have several things, and I put a chart in here for you, and let's just follow this by review, and then we'll come back to inspiration, uh, that the types of divine revelation. Psalms 19 goes like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And what does glory mean? Bright, shiny? No. Glory is used of the substance of a person. What is glorious about them? It's the knowledge of them. It's the Hebrew kavod. What makes them weighty? What makes them have substance? And so the heavens are shouting out day and night the glory of God. Now, how, how is that? It goes this way. Uh, we have a woman that's donated uh, uh, paintings that are out here in the foyer, some over in the other building. She's donating them whatever sales uh, are generated. We're giving it to the youth camp fund for our young people. But, but when you look at the art, do you not draw and make impressions in your mind of what the artist must be like? The product, I mean, come on. The product, 
Who did that? How did they come up with it? How did they get that way? And I love the story of the uh, smart aleck that went to an art museum. And when they were talking to the curator, they said, is there any, any of this stuff any good here? And the curator said, everything in here is past the test. The only one on trial is you. And that is God's creation. It's all past the test. The stars, the galaxies. Just examine how you make one human eye. Get it under a microscope. Figure out how to do it. Man, woman, Einstein, make one eye. Don't know how to do it. Where's the formula? Which pharmaceutical company's got the, you know, the patent? The creator has the patent. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm more than protoplasm. I'm more than something that's put on a slide disc underneath a microscope and something more than what you can flush down the toilet. I am a divine product. Even if I go to hell, I've been made in the image of God and I'm set apart from a million whales because there's a unique thing about a human being called the image of God. We ought to esteem human life more than trees, animals, or anything else. You can love all those things, but it's in a different category. Creation. So, God shouts through the heavens. Then, as you go along here, in providence. Uh, this is what's considered God's providential care. He provides for his creation. He said in Matthew, you ought to love your enemies. God does. And then he goes on to say, God gives them rain, gives them sun, gives them seasons, gives them babies, uh, gives the pregnancy, gives the first, all the uh, material, physical, biological blessings we live with, all the blessings in nature, all of that. These are gifts from an almighty God. He said in Acts 17, anything that lives, moves, or has its being gets it from God. Wait, wait, you just moved that arm. Why was I able to do that? I, I moved at the pleasure of God. I couldn't lift my arm. I've been having problems with this shoulder. I've been having physical therapy. I don't know what it is. But right now I can move it. I'm showing off. <laughs> now, Acts 17 said God was in that movement. You wouldn't be in that wheelchair if God hadn't kept you and keeping you going, but you can still move. You, can, you know what? Everything that lives and moves and breathes does it at his pleasure. It's the goodness of God. Just get where you can't move a limb. You say, why can't I? God has to be, it has to be his will for you to move it. Now, Daniel says, hold on. This is hard on Democrats right now. God even places kings up and he takes them down. And that's before the Democratic or the Republican Party. God. God put Putin in office. 
See, you don't believe sovereignty. You think we're in charge. You think we're in charge. You're in charge of nothing. You're, you're a flake on the scale of history. A little bit of dust. God says, I set up, take down. God's moving all of the kingdoms of this world like a chess set. He's moving the pawns here and there. He's setting things up for the last days for an antichrist. And boop, boop, boop. when he sets it up, it's going to happen just like that. He, he's in charge of the chessboard. I vote, but I don't get enthused about it because I, I believe in sovereignty. And I don't expect you to amen. I don't care if you do or not. I'm telling the truth. Romans 2, God says, he speaks to us that he has emblazoned his law in the conscience of every unregenerate, unsaved man. He says in Romans 2, 15 and 16, that there is inherent in a human being a conscience and conscience is made up of two words soon oida it's soon oida is the Greek word soon is with and oida is to know you think of a set of scales your conscience is made to measure your action with your knowledge you can have a weak conscience so that you can't do everything you're allowed to do by God because you think the meat is evil or that certain days are more precious and they ought to be observed if you read Romans 14 because the idea of it is your knowledge fluctuates. Uh, I used to have a conviction against things that I now do today because as my knowledge increased, I found out, oh, God wasn't against that. It just happened to be the church I went to that was against it. As I studied the word and my knowledge increased, I thought, no, that's not a no-no in God's eyes. They made that rule. Have you found that out? Are you aware that churches make rules that God's never made? How can that be? I mean, we grew up with dress codes and uh, had a whole list of things we couldn't do. And, and by the time I started this church, I said, man, I can't find that in the Word. But Sister Smith thought it was wrong. We made a rule. That's all right. That's culture. That's your culture. Some of you grew up in a culture there were no rules. I'd rather be around the folks. There are rules. It's a little safer. But in conscience, a man in a pagan society that's never been born again, never heard the Bible, never heard of Jesus, guess what? If you talk to him and you'd ask him, would it be okay if I stole your wife? He could easily say, that's wrong. What made you say it's wrong? I don't know, but it's wrong. God said, I emblazoned my moral code on their heart so that their very conscience saying, you're wrong. 
And he said, when they come before the judgment of God, God is going to rewind their conscience and play it for them before the white throne judgment said, you see, your very conscience says what you were doing was wrong. You murdered, your conscience said it's wrong. You lied, your conscience said And this is natural revelation, God dealing with human beings. But then we come to special revelation. In these last days, God has chosen to speak to us in a son. In various times, he spoke in different ways, through prophets, through this and that. So he's spoken to us in the son. We are primarily focusing on he has spoken to us in the scriptures. Look at the chart, if you will, to see that uh, sometimes people think, well, how could Christ come to us without sin? He had a human parent. Uh, right here where it says human parents, that ought to be human parent because only Mary was involved. There was, no, there was no earthly father. So we had a young female Jewish young lady that God, through the Holy Spirit, overshadowed and created the male counterpart for a real pregnancy. She carried the baby really for nine months, and we had a real birth without passing on sin to the son. You remember in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4 and Romans 8, he became like us, but apart from sin, right? He was sinless. Sin was not transferred to Christ. Now we come to Scripture. People ask this question. How can a book that's over 3,500 years of age, written by 40 different human authors, uh, isn't it out of step? It's a human book. And how can these human beings all the way back to Moses and 98, how can that have anything to say to us? What is its relevance? And so we find out God has taken human beings and used them as his instruments and given us a book. So first, the Bible is said to be a revelation from God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians Review. This is where we were last week, and then we're going to go to 2 Timothy, and then 2 Peter. Please look at 1 Corinthians that we took time to look at last week, verse 12. Verse 12. And I'm using NIV because it's far better in these verses than the ESV. And so is the New American Standard. So pay your money, take your choice. We have not received the spirit of the world. Chapter 2, get in the spirit. I mean, we have not, chapter 2, I do that often, thank you. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. How many agree? How many of you have the Holy Spirit? Let's do that again. How many of you got the Holy Spirit? Okay. Are you sure? Took you two times to figure it out. <laughs> we have received the Spirit at the new birth, right? 
Now let me read this sarcastically. That we may remain ignorant of what God has freely given us. What That we may what? Understand. A fancy theologian's called this perpescuity. It's only the word clarity, but perpescuity sounds more impressive. The Bible is clear. It's in words God intended you to understand, especially with the Holy Spirit being in you to bear witness of what was said and to help you understand it. Do you ever ask yourself, or have you ever said, they are a spirit-taught believer? I don't hear that very much because you don't meet very many that are. And, and let me tell you all you theologue guys, uh, uh, you can be as full of Grudem, Chafer, and everybody else. He didn't say Chafer would teach you. The Spirit. The Spirit. Has he illumined you anything to you? He says he will enable you to understand what God's revealed. This is what we speak. Now watch, not in words. Now, over, what's words got to do? In words taught us by human wisdom, he is not speaking in the philosophy of Athens, but in words taught by the Spirit, and this is why I chose this translation. It's right on expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The Word of God claims to be a revelation of God in words that conveyed the mind of God. God had the thoughts. He overshadowed these human writers. This is the divine thought, and God reaches in and picks out of their vocabulary to express what he wanted his people to know. Now, God had prepared. You know, it's an amazing thing. You know what's one of the hardest books in the New Testament to translate from Greek? I know you know this because you study this all the time. Guess what's one of the hardest books? Some of the hardest Greek written. First and second Peter, the ignorant fisherman. Harder than Paul. John is the easiest in Greek. Where did Peter get so smart? Spirit of God overshadowed him. And somewhere along the way, he picked up the vocabulary the Spirit wanted to use. And through Peter, he said things in profound Greek. Hard, difficult at times to interpret. But God has revealed himself in words, spiritual thoughts, spiritual words. Now, let's go to Second. Timothy. Timothy, uh, in the last days, the church will be full of false teachers and false doctrines. And I'm reminding you that times will become perilous. But I want to remind you that from a youth, you've been taught the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. Your mother and your grandmother, good old Jewish mother and grandmother, Gentile father. And they have taught you the scriptures, Timothy. And I want you to understand this. Verse 16, all scripture is 
not inspired. This I went to the, is God breathed. That's, that's all right. And I want you to, we'll look at this little definition here. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God breathed. What does he mean? Originally, we had all the translations were inspiration. <clears throat> Comes from the Latin. It wound up in Latin that way. But the word is theonoustos. And noustos comes from the word pneuma, wind, spirit, breath. And he's saying all scripture has been breathed out by God. Now, wait. 1 Corinthians 3 or 2 says all scripture comes from the mind of God. Now we've got it coming from the breath of God. He's pointing to origin. And he said, he breathed out scripture. And notice that. I think I may have answered the question I want to ask you. What did he breathe out? A man or a book? Did it, was the Apostle Paul inspired? So God breathed out Paul. What does he say? All human writers of Scripture have been breathed out by God. All what? Scripture. Did you know Paul wrote things? He wrote two letters to the Corinthians that have never been found. They're called the lost letters to the Corinthians. Could Paul write a... Uh, a love letter back home to his mother, let's say, would it be inspired? Could he write a grocery list and it not be inspired? When he was writing what became scripture, God breathed out the graphe, the sacred writing. Now, look, years ago, I used to carry this little definition in my Bible. All Scripture is theonoustos, literally God-breathed. This makes it plain that what we call inspiration is not the man but the book, not the writer but his writings, not the speaker but his words. The purpose of God in inspiration was not to give us a number of infallible men, but to give us an infallible book that would never pass away. Um, I would say something. Uh, in this vein that uh, when I started this church, been in the church actively, I'd say hmm, for sure 60 years, I've seen a lot of fads, a lot of currents, a lot of ways people do church. I've been through and lived through these music wars and what kind of music is of God? Can you have drums in church? 
first boy I let play drums in our church, key family left, told me off. You got, you're going to apostate. You let him rock and roll, come in the church. Because I let him play the drums? Yep. I've lived through a few changes. But I started my ministry here based on these two convictions. I'm here to exposit to you what the Word of God says. And by that, I mean you are to expect on Sunday a minimal amount of human opinion. This is not the place for human opinion. I come to hear God's opinion, and God's opinion is in a book. So we dedicate ourselves to exposit even words. This word means this. That phrase means that. And so we labor to find out the meaning because I don't invent sermons. I discover them. I'm not an inventor of truth. I'm a discoverer of truth. I discover it in the same Bible that you own. So you can check me out anytime. If you don't check it and I tell you a heresy, so much for that. You have every right to say, show me that. I don't think you got that right. Help yourself. I would nearly faint that someone was that observant. Because we're building churches on men. We're building things on the word of men. Phil says, who's Phil? Valley Bible says, isn't what Valley, it's what does the word of God say? Not building on men. Not, I'm, I shall pass. This will not. And there's another thing. I'm not a lecturer. I'm a preacher, and that means I think we ought to feast on what comes out of the Word as though we were feeding on honey, eating meat, drinking milk, and that our flimsy backbones turn into backbones of steel, that we quit being people of opinions and become people with conviction. People that are convinced, if God says it, I believe it. I don't care if you believe it. I can't make you believe it. I'm convinced that God has spoken in a book and in a son. And I guarantee you, until my last breath around here and I go to glory, I'm interested in what God said and not what you and I think. I think we ought to. Well, wonderful. Someone said the only mental exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. You want to be able to think. So you ought to have a Bible as a Christian. We're Bible Christians. I'm not, I'm not waiting to say, talk to me, Lord. Talk to me. Talk. Talk to me. I, I remember being a young tongue-talking boy in Pentecostal circles. I, you know, they used to always say, seek the greater gifts. 
seek the greater gifts. So I went to my father and I said, Dad, the greatest gift I see in Corinthians is prophets. I want to be a prophet. He said, well, that's a good ambition. Okay, thank you, Dad. Are you excited? I said, that's a good ambition. I said, well, how can I become one? He said, well, I'd start by getting full of the prophets. I said, Dad, have you read Isaiah lately? The 66 chapters. Jeremiah's 54 chapters. Ezekiel's 52 chapters. Have you read the prophets? He said, I said it'd be a good place for you to start. Don't be coming up with prophet Phil Howard just said. There ain't no current prophets that's got a word equal to this. There ain't any. There ain't any. This is the final word. You better watch out. They're going to prophesy to you. You ought to sell your house and give it to them. God had nothing to do with it. Who determines what you believe? Is it a word from God? He said, all Scripture God breathed out. Now listen to what he says in Peter, 2 Peter. In chapter 1, he has been describing, I was on the mount. I heard Christ authorized as the Son. For God spoke out of the majestic glory, this is my Son. And then he goes into 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the word of the prophet made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, and prophecy here is not just talking about the book of Revelation and Daniel. It was another synonym for Scripture. No prophecy, no Scripture found from the prophets and on and on, like he calls it testimonies, the law, different synonyms. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. I would translate that origination, but this is a sound interpretation. It, it is that word in the Greek. But let me speak a little on that as I research that, that the issue is that this is a... Uh, uh, ablative in the Greek, which is speaking to source, and that he's really not talking about how we interpret Scripture, but he's talking about source of Scripture, that none of the Scriptures we have came about from the author's interpretation or the author's origination or something, the human author. And to make that clear, he says, verse 21, watch what he says. For prophecy never had its origin. In the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are of divine source. The human authors, I love what he says here, they were carried along. This word is used in Acts 27, speaking of them when they were sailing on the Mediterranean towards Rome. And it says, and the wind filled their sails and bore them to the port. And he's saying the human authors were like sails. 
They had the rationale, but the Spirit came upon them like he did Mary, and he bore them along, and as he bore them along, they're writing the thoughts of God in the words of God so that we get a book from God, a book with the infallible stamp of God, a book without error. A book is like studying God's breath. It's like studying God's, I've got God's mind in print. I've got God's breath in print. It's a living book. It breathes, it thinks. It would change your thinking, change your life. It's a living book. That's what we got. Thus, you ask me about what a Christian ought to do about sex. I've got God's mind and word on it. What you ought to think about gender roles, I've got God's word on it. I ain't consulting culture. I'm consulting this, the author. What does God think about this? Morality, this, that. I've got God's word for what it says. Do you? Are you inventing all your answers? Was it money? Oh, good. All right. Thank you, Jim. Uh, so that, other words, here we are. We're in a culture that your kids go to college and they're going to ask you, first of all, men wrote the Bible. The Bible's full of error. Uh, the Bible has no authority. Uh, and uh, by the way, you, uh, you smoke pot, live with your girlfriend in the dorm. Would you like to sign up? Man, that sounds good. And get rid of all divine authority and I could buy into everything youth wants to do, want to party, have a good time, and I'll pick up the Bible when I'm 45 and dying or something. Maybe it'd be good for my funeral. Is it good for your life? So, let me say this. I just would say that because when people are not convinced that the Bible is the Word of God, and you don't realize it all over this land, this is true. We're caught up with gimmicks. We're caught up with all kinds. Uh, it's more important to have a good band than it is to have a Bible preacher. Because, you know, Bible preaching will put them to sleep. Because many guys, I'm around them, they want a 20-minute fix-it sermon right now. In 20 minutes, fix me and get me out before 12 o'clock, or I'll find another church that can get me in and out in a, an hour and five minutes. I talked to some guys. You said, you've got to get them in an hour. They're talking about how you've got to get them in and get them out. Forget about what you get into them. Just get them in and get them out. Because the crowd is waiting. When the Bible is not seen as the word of God, preaching will be undermined because it's just the opinion of a man. And I think in exposition, let me tell you what's happened in conservative churches. All some of you want is a right answer so you can take good notes and see if it agrees with who you're reading. Whatever happened to you exalting in God, that the word so grips you during the service that you find yourself almost swooning in your spirit. I'm eating honey from another world. I'm eating manna from another. You know, I love you, Malcolm. I totally reminds me of my dad uh, I, and my people. I love my people because we would go out after church and at the meal talk about the word we heard that morning for another two hours. 
We talk about, did you see that nugget? That's my dad's way. Look at that nugget. It wasn't the bragamony on the preacher. It was the bragamony on what we'd heard, the word. And most of our folks, they can't remember 30 minutes later. I got one man in this church I avoid with everything I can. Because all he wants to talk to me about is his hobbies, is this, and that's it. Do you think I can care about your hobbies? Do you think that is what I, would you quote me a verse? Did you know you all came to church today according to Hebrews 3.13 with a verse on your lips that you said, I'm going to encourage you today while it's called today, lest your heart be deceived by sin. If you didn't come with a verse to give me, you didn't come prepared to come to church. Don't you come to church to gripe. You had six days to gripe. Days, day to praise him. And you had six days to make up your, and settle your differences. You don't do it on Sunday. Leave her alone. Resume Monday. Take your corners. <laughs> the Word of God. Exalting. That, and really, I see people, I, I know the Word, and I think, oh, no, you don't. You've just got a bunch of answers. And you're as dead as you can be because you didn't enter into, do you think God gave you his word so you can say, well, I agree with you there. <gasps> We're talking about omniscience. He wants you to praise, adore, bow, love, and get caught up in the experience of knowing him. This is not an ac academic exercise only. God wants the heart and get, he wants your worship. He wants you to say, this is the most glorious thing I've ever heard about. It is music from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I can't stand non-responsive congregation. No, that's right. No, I should have been born black or stayed Pentecostal. I love both. Yeah, yeah, you conservatives stay as mute as you want. I want to know, is it doing anything for you? Well, don't. I'm cognitive. Well, move to Germany. And don't let's speak about the German people. My mother, my grandmother was a German and a shouting Methodist. Come on. When does it engage you? That's why preaching for me is engagement. Oh, and don't pull this one on me. Well, well, the worship service just ended. Here, here's pastor to come preach. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we all already worship. No, no, what do you think I'm doing right now? I'm worshiping the living God. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about his word. I'm in the worship service. I'm doing some worshiping. I'm going to jump upside if I could. These truths save my parents, save my brothers and sisters. I'm going to go to heaven on these words. I'm going to heaven on this book. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. This isn't the Reader's Digest. This is the words of the eternal God. If it's wrong, I'm going to hell and I've been deceived on the way. But it is the word of the living God. You see, I gave you a thing on the five marks of a cult. And all the cults have an extra source of revelation. They got the Book of Mormon. They've got the Koran. 
Uh, they've got the Watchtower edition that says Jesus Christ was created and that he's not co-eternal. It's damnable heresy. It's not the truth. The Mormons have got the Book of Mormon that says Jesus, back in eternity, God had sex with Mary and she gave birth to the twin brothers of Satan and of Jesus Christ. Damnable heresies. And you say, there's sure a fine religion. Fine religion, if it doesn't speak by this book, it's heresy. It's damnable. What are you basing your faith on? And I see lazy Christians about the Bible. They oh, we're all, we've all got truth. No, we don't. Only those who take God at his word and build their life on it. expository. I love the way Piper says it. We want to explain the verse, but we want to see something happen in the people. We want to see you rejoice. Do you rejoice when you hear from God? Have you ever been homesick? Have you ever got a letter when you've been homesick? Did you know according to Scripture, now this is going to rock your boat, but it's the truth anyway, and I dare you to ask me for a verse. I dare you because I can show you. God wants you to be his friend. I don't buy that. You just brought God down. No, I brought God what he said. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you. Proverbs says he only brings his friends into his intimate counsel. That's why he said, I want to eat with you. You only ate with your friends. You never ate with an enemy. And you know what he said? With this shepherd, he brought a lunch basket. He not only led me like a sheep, but he said, enter my house and we'll have a supper together because I want to treat you like friends. I'm the friend of God. Abraham, you moon worshiper, you Gentile, you pagan worshiper that's going to hell, I call you, Abram, come. I'm going to make you my friend. Are there any friends of Jesus in this place? If you're a friend of Jesus, you love to hear from heaven. That's what, I'm not done. I'm just crashing. Let's stand. Let's stand. I want to exalt in him. I want to say, thank you, Lord. I have not believed myths and lies of men. I've built my, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the Lord I stand. <laughs> How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to you than he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Oh, Lord Jesus. We're built on the rock of Jesus and the rock of his word. Oh, make my bones burn with your word. And in these last days of time when the church is in peril with a thousand different voices going, may the voice of the shepherd rule this flock. May the voice of the shepherd rule this under-shepherd. May the words of God, if you've been grieved in this church because we're not following the word, show us and we will repent. Show us. It is the word of God that must be above every other word.
let us bow, let us bow. Let heaven and earth rule us by the words of Scripture. I pray in Jesus' name. And now I want you to do Hebrews 3.13. Lay a verse on somebody right now. Hebrews 3.13. You use that one, but you didn't come up with it. I just gave it to you. God bless you. Hebrews 3.13. Encourage somebody with a word. A word of God.